Dear Lord, thank you for the day us today. Thank you for bringing us all here safely, Lord. Uh, thank you for this good weather we've been having. And just be with Pastor Jesse as he speaks tonight. And let everyone just uh, really take something away from the message tonight, Lord. Just pray. Amen. Okay, since he mentioned the weather, i got to ask, how many of you guys like it getting colder like it is right now? Thank you. You are my people right there. How many of you all hate this cold? I'm sorry, but I'm not really sorry because I really like this cold. So, all right, I was just curious. So, let me ask you another question. Show of hands, don't call out, no, no story time. I forgot to print the cards, Mr. Corey, but thank you for asking. Um, the note cards, I forgot to print those today. But if you do need a Bible, they're on the back table. Those blue books right back there, go grab one of those if you don't have one with you. Um, so without yelling out answers, just show of hands, how many of you have ever been accused of or gotten... Put your hands down. You don't even know what I'm going to say yet. You're like, <laughs> Max is like, yep, I did it. <laughs> You ever been accused of or gotten in trouble for doing something that you didn't actually do? <laughs> okay, I kind of figured that was the case. All right, put your hands down. Put your hands down. I want to tell you about a time that I got in trouble for something that I didn't do, and it was something stupid, okay? Like really stupid. My older brother. How many of y'all have an older sibling? Okay. Aren't they the worst at getting you in trouble? Man! What happened? I had an older brother. He's about a year and a half older than me. And when I was younger, I'm one of those comic book nerds. Like, I love comic books. I got over 3,000 comic books. But here's what my brother did. My brother was the, the big football player, offensive lineman who liked to read comic books. But he didn't tell anybody he liked to read comic books. What he would do is he would just sneak into my room and take them and read them and then put them back and think nobody would know. I caught on to him one day. So what I did is I, I pretended I was going to get in the shower and I turned on the shower because I figured out that's when he was sneaking in my room. And I let the shower run for a little bit and then while the shower was running, I snuck out of the bathroom, fully clothed by the way, snuck out of the bathroom and went in my room and caught him in my room reading comic books. And I got in trouble because for some reason my father decided that I was trying to make him think I took a longer shower by leaving the bathroom with the shower running. Isn't that the dumbest thing you've ever heard of in your life? And my brother was like, yep, that's exactly what he was doing. And I got in trouble for that, for something that I wasn't doing. I was trying to catch him, and he didn't even get in trouble for going in my room and taking my stuff. And do y'all like that when your sibling goes in your room and takes your stuff? No. How many of you, like, when they come near the door frame, you go, get out? Yes. Yeah, that's a couple of you. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When we get caught like that, when we get accused of doing something we didn't do, or when we get in trouble, actually get in trouble for doing something we weren't doing, we want to plead our case, don't we? We want to tell our side of the story. We want to make sure everybody knows that we weren't doing the wrong thing. And that's a natural reaction, and that's, that's not a bad thing. But sometimes you don't have to do that. Sometimes you don't get to do that. In fact, as we pick up in Daniel chapter 6 tonight, we're going to find Daniel in that exact same situation. Daniel finds himself in a situation where he is being accused of doing something wrong, and he really hasn't done anything wrong. And there's some pretty severe consequences for what he's accused of. 
So we're going to do just the first half of Daniel chapter 6 tonight. I told you just a couple weeks we're going to do whole chapters. We're going to slow it down again. But before we jump into the verses, I'm going to ask you guys the questions we walk through because it's important to know when you study a book of the Bible, the context, where it was written, who it was written to, why it was written, all that good stuff. So who wrote the book of Daniel? Daniel. Daniel. I'm giving you the easy ones first. When do we believe it was written? 6th century B.C. Okay. What's the king's name that came in and took over? Nebuchadnezzar. And what's the name of the the, the city, the the people group that came in? Babylon, the Babylonians. Okay. And two more questions. How old do we think Daniel and his friends were when this happened? Around 15, 16. And, you ready? What's the main theme of the book? God's sovereignty. For those of you who haven't been here and walked through with us the first five chapters of Daniel, in this book, Daniel and his buddies, the nation of Israel, they are living their life, and the nation of Babylon comes in and takes over all of Israel. And what they do is they take the brightest and the best young Israelites, and they take them back to Babylon. They even give them different names because their goal is to indoctrinate them into Babylonian society. So they're trying to wipe out everything they've known, their family connections, what they believe, their society, everything. They're going to train them to be Babylonians and then use them to get the other people to live like Babylonians. That's the plan. But Daniel and three of his buddies decide we're not going to give in to this culture that is different than what we know to be right. And it's, it's weird because he takes a stand on something as small as food. He says, we will not eat the food from the king's table because there's a good chance that food would have been unclean by Jewish ritualistic law standards. So they couldn't eat that food because it would have made them unclean before God. So they said, we're not going to eat that food. You give us fruit, you give us vegetables, you give us water. And at the end of 10 days, if we look worse than all the other guys, then fine, we'll eat the king's food. But if we are in good shape, then, then we'd like to keep doing that. And lo and behold, God blesses and honors what they did and they, they actually take all the food away from all of the other people and give them the same food that Daniel and his buddies were eating. And time after time, you see Daniel and you see his three friends remain faithful to God when they're in danger of losing their lives, when they're in danger of being thrown into this big fiery pit where they could just, I mean, it told us that the guys who took them down to that pit actually died because the fire was so hot and yet they walked out not even singed, nothing. Said they didn't even smell like smoke. And you see over and over again in these first five chapters that Daniel and his friends, they were faithful to God no matter what the situation was that they faced. And that's our so what moment for tonight. You know, usually at the end I'll say, okay, we've done all this, so what? Why does that matter? I want to tell you that up front tonight. The whole so what about the beginning of Daniel chapter 6 is that we can be faithful to God no matter what the situation is. Because if you remember last week, we talked about this idea that God is always faithful to his people. Always. God is sovereign. God is in control. God's character does not change. He is always faithful to us. And because he is, we can always be faithful to him no matter what situation we face. And that's where we're going to see again in Daniel chapter 6. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Miss J.D. Ellison, come on up here, J.D. You're going to read for us tonight. There we go. Mr. Punts, it's one of the wireless mics. I'm not sure which one. There we go. We got it. All right, y'all give your attention, Miss J.D. 
It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one of them, to whom these satraps should give account, so that king might suffer no loss. Then this became Daniel's... Daniel. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and the satraps came by agreement to the king and said, O king, Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should be established in ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of Medes and in the persons, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document in the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber open to, towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave them thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judea, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Right, let's, let's pray. Go ahead. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us all here today. I pray that your words will flow through Pastor Jesse and everyone will relate to this message and get the things that they need. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Ms. J.D. Good job. All right. So we're, we, we are literally stopping right there on the cliffhanger, but let's, let's walk through these verses. And let's see what's happening here. Let's try to understand exactly what's going on. So in verse 1, let me read this again. Verse 1. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over, the, over them three high officials of who Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would, should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. So we're jumping right into King Darius. Now, do you guys remember what happened at the very end of chapter 5? Somebody tell me what happened. The guy got killed. Yeah, the other king. Okay, if you remember in chapter 5, you had this guy named Belshazzar. Okay, and Belshazzar was throwing this really big party. And in the middle of this party, he brings out the vessels that were dedicated in Israel to worshiping God. And he brought those out and they started drinking wine out of these, these golden um, cups and things like that. And then they started worshiping their gods of gold and silver and all of these other things. So what Belshazzar was basically doing is he was spitting in the face of God. He not only wasn't acknowledging that he was using something that was dedicated to God's worship, he was actually taking it and he was using it to worship false idols. 
And in the middle of this party, while this is happening, all of a sudden this big hand appears out of nowhere and just starts writing on the wall. And the king starts freaking out and he doesn't know what's going on and he calls in all his wise men and all the wise men can't tell him what it means. So he calls in Daniel. Daniel, the interpreter of dreams. Daniel, the interpreter of visions. Daniel, who God has gifted to be able to do these things. And Daniel says, King, you've been weighed, you've been measured, you've been found wanting. That's what this means. And it means tonight you're going to die. You're going to lose your kingdom. And sure enough, as we talked about, the, the Medes and the Persians, they had an army that had amassed outside of the city of Babylon. And if you remember, the river Euphrates ran through the city. They diverted the river low enough to be able to get in through a water gate to actually come in and take over the entire city. And King Darius is the guy that was in charge of all that. So that's where we pick up right here. Darius has come in. He's the new ruler of Babylon. It's, it's not just the Babylonians anymore. Now you've got the, the Medes and the Persians have come in. And right here, he is basically setting up his new government. So it's kind of like when we get a new president, what do they do? They take everybody out of office that was there before and they bring in all their own people. That's exactly what he's doing right here. And it says he sets up these 120 satraps. Those are kind of like little local governors. Like we've got, say, Mayor Day right here in Kingsland. You've got a, go you've got a, a, a mayor here. You've got a mayor in St. Mary's. You've got all of these local people. But the problem was some scholars believe that there was a lot of political corruption in that system, even though it was brand new. And they believe that what Darius was actually worried about is that these 120 people he was setting up to oversee everything that he was ruling he believed that they might be stealing money. So he appointed these other three guys over them to make sure that they didn't steal from him, to make sure that they weren't, they weren't breaking the law. And Daniel just happens to be one of those guys, one of those three officials. So somehow, in this takeover, in this transition from Belshazzar to Darius, you've got this guy, Daniel, this guy who's, who's not even Babylonian, He's not a Mede. He's not a Persian. There's no reason he should be high up in any of these governments except for the fact that he's been faithful to God the entire time he's been there. If you remember, he was taken into captivity around the age of 15, 16. He's been there for approximately 70 years now. He's old, at least by our standards. He's in, he's in his early to mid-80s. He's up there in years, and yet God is still allowing him to have influence in a culture that is not his, in a people group that he should have absolutely no influence over. And watch what happens here in verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So now he's, he's not just one of the top three guys. Now he's going to be second to the king. It's kind of like when you go back in the Old Testament and you read the story of Joseph. You've got Joseph who, who his brothers take him and they sell him into slavery and he goes into slavery and then he gets into Potiphar's house and, and he is put in second in command of Potiphar's house and Potiphar was a pretty high guy in the Egyptian um, government there. And then Potiphar's wife accuses him of doing something he didn't do. He gets thrown in jail. He gets left there for a couple years. And then all of a sudden, because he can interpret somebody's dream, He's called out of prison to interpret the Pharaoh's dream. And before you know it, Joseph is now second in command in all of Egypt. Because Joseph was faithful. Just like Daniel is faithful. 
And God continues to use them. And it goes on here in verse 4. It says, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. He's in his 80s, and he's had the opportunity for people to see over these 70-something years what kind of man he actually is. And because of how he has lived his life, because of the choices he has made on a regular basis, Scripture shows us here that he's got a good reputation. One of the ways we hear it talked about in Scripture is, is to be above reproach. Which means when somebody looks at the character of your life, when they look at the pattern of your life, let me clarify, we're all going to mess up. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to do stupid things sometimes. But when somebody looks at the pattern of your life, it should be something that glorifies God. It should be something that points people towards God. And that's what it means when Scripture talks about living above reproach. That's what it means when it talks about having integrity and being somebody of character. Daniel's life couldn't be picked apart. Because what happens is, when you live a life striving to honor God, even those times that you mess up, over time, people remember the fact that you honor God. They don't remember the little mess-ups here and there that you do. They remember your character. They remember that you're above reproach. And that's who Daniel is. And that's the reputation that he has built over his entire lifetime in captivity. Because remember, this is not the first time that this has happened. This isn't even the first time that people have sought to use the king to go after Daniel. But the problem is they can't find anything. There's nothing there. He hasn't, he hasn't had scandals and all of these things like we see in the news today. Daniel's faithfulness is the one thing that they can count on. And because that's the one thing they can count on, it's the one thing they decide they can use against him. And that's exactly what they decide to do here. Because he was faithful in his obedience to God, it's the only thing they can come after. So let me ask you a question. What about your life? If somebody decided today that they're going to come after you, that they were going to try to tear you down somehow, would it be easy for them? Would it be easy for them to say, oh, that one, that one, that one, that one. I could use any of these things. Or do you live your life in such a way that the only way people could come after you was if they came after your pursuit of God? It's a question we have to ask ourselves every single day. And that's exactly what Daniel faced here. And then it goes on in the next verse 6. It says this. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, first of all, why do they just have a den of lions sitting around? Because it's cool? Okay, I, was, I just 
kind of wondering what you guys thought about that. That to me seems weird, but I guess in that time it was normal. <laughs> he says they'll be cast in the den of lions. Number eight, verse eight. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. These officials, these leaders, they are dirty, rotten little liars. Aren't they? Do you see what they just did right here? They, they come to the king, they all get together, and they say there in verse 7, all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, they're all agreed, king, that you should make this law. Who's not there? Daniel. Daniel's not there. So when they come do this, yes, they went after Daniel because of his faith, but even in going after Daniel because of his faith, they still have to lie about Daniel. Because if you have a life that you've lived with above reproach, with integrity, with character, even if somebody comes after you for your faith, the only way they're going to be able to do that is if they make something up. And that's exactly what happens right here. They get to the king and they get together and they lie and they tell the king, hey, this is what's going on. You need to understand, king, all the important people, everybody you've put in place, everybody that you trust to run your government, to run your kingdom, we've all gotten together and every single one of us thinks that this should be the new law. The problem is Daniel is not even there. So they've lied and Daniel doesn't know what's happening. But look at how they make it happen. What are the first five words they say to the king in verse 6? The first five words they say to the king. The quotation marks. O King Darius, live. They butter him up. That's it right there. They're getting him ready. Hey, it's like when you guys want something at home. Guys, you probably go to your mom. Girls, you probably go to your dad. And guys, I know, I'm not going to tell you which child, but I've seen this in my own house where somebody goes, Mom, puts their arm around them, gives them a hug. I love that everybody's staring at Jared right now. It's awesome. <laughs> or, or I'll even call my own daughter where she'll walk up and go, Daddy. <laughs> I just, hey, just so y'all know, those little ladies, those little pouty lips, big batty eyes, um, that doesn't work in my house, so don't ever try that for me, on me here, okay? It doesn't work. But that's what they're doing. They're, they're buttering them up. They're saying, hey, king, oh, king Darius, live forever. Say, king, we, we love you. We want you to be around a long time. And king Darius, we've come up with a plan that's going to honor you. That's what this whole thing is. They're playing on Darius's ego. What they're doing is they're saying, King, we've come up with a way so that everyone in your kingdom worships you for 30 days. And if they worship any man or any God besides you, kill them. Because, King, you're that important. Your reputation, your, everything about you is just that great. What they're doing right now and what Darius is allowing them to do is to make him feel like he's more important than any other man and any God that could exist. When they're telling him this, they're saying, hey, you're above everybody. You're above all of us. And more importantly, you're above any God, including the God of Daniel. 
the only God that actually does exist. And the crazy thing is here, they've found a way to use Daniel's faithfulness and his consistency and his pursuit of God against him. Because the one thing they can count on is that Daniel's going to be faithful to God. And they know that if this goes through, he's going to disobey it. Because he's going to worship God no matter what. Because he has always worshipped God. Because his character, his reputation has proven that's who he is. They know that he will not bend in his devotion to pursuing God. And they know that when he doesn't, if this is signed into law by the king, Daniel's done for. There's nothing that can save him. In fact, it says there, it says that 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 law can't be changed. If you go on here in verse 9, Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. How incredible is that? In the face of not just, you know, quite often what will happen is, is we have an opportunity to honor God and to be faithful God in social situations. And because we don't want people to think we're weird or we're not sure what they're going to think or they might make fun of us, we shrink back. And maybe we don't say what we know we should say or, or speak up when we know we should speak up or not laugh at what everyone else is laughing at that doesn't honor God. And we try to hide a little bit so that nobody knows and we won't get made fun of. Daniel right here, the only thing on the line is his life. And yet he does the exact same thing he's done every other day. He remains faithful. His circumstances did not determine his devotion to God. And that's something we have to remember because sometimes, let's be honest, our circumstances, the people we're around, the situations we find ourselves in, we let those determine whether or not we're going to be faithful to God in those moments. And yet right here, this is the most crucial moment he could have in his life. He could lose his life and he does not change his plan to pray. It's not like he's going to be made fun of publicly. It's not like somebody's not going to talk to him for a couple weeks. He's going to lose his life and he doesn't hesitate to be faithful to God and that is exactly what these men hoped would happen look at verse 11 then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction O king did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you O king shall be cast into the den of lions the king answered and said the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. It's funny to me here. These guys, they didn't care about everybody else. Do you think they went around to every house to see if every single person was worshiping God or worshiping Darius? No, they went to one house. They went after one guy. They didn't care if anyone else followed the law. They cared if they could trap Daniel. This whole thing was done solely to catch him. 
And his habit is one that probably had been visible to other people because it says he went up in his house and he had open windows. So other people would have seen what he was doing. He wasn't trying to hide it. They came looking for him and they found him doing exactly what they knew he would be doing. They got him. They caught him breaking the law and now the plan that they had put in place was going to start to carry out. And look at how they do it. They come back to the king and they ask the king, Oh king, king, didn't you sign this law? Aren't you the one that said that anybody that worships anything but you for 30 days, they're going to be thrown in the den of lions? Do you think these guys really need that clarification? No. They're the ones who gave the king the idea in the first place. They knew exactly what they were doing. But what they're doing is they're, they're coming to the king and they're saying, hey, you remember that thing you said? You're going to stick to it, right? Good. Daniel broke the law. They've gone after him. And they've used his faithfulness to God to get what they wanted. They weren't asking for clarification. They're just trying to make sure that what they had hoped was going to happen is actually going to happen. And they know they have Daniel trapped. Look at verse 13. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Look at how they refer to Daniel. It's very similar to the way Belshazzar referred to Daniel in chapter 5. It says, he's right there, it says, he is an exile. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. They're basically saying, King, that guy, you know, the one that you've put in charge of everything, the one that you've put over all of us, remember, he's not even one of us. He, he's a slave. He's this guy that came from another place, a, a country that your predecessor conquered. He's not one of us. King, you need to understand that that guy is disobeying you. Daniel's accused by these leaders of disobeying the law, but more importantly, he's accused of disregarding the king. They make it a personal offense or a personal affront to the king. Because they say right there, it says, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed. So now they say, king, he's ignoring you. Forget about the law, he's ignoring you. How many of you like to be ignored? Yeah. So you like to be ignored? Sometimes? Okay. For, I can, let me tell you this. Hey, and let me let you know a secret about your parents. As a parent, I don't like to be ignored. And I'm willing to bet your parents don't like to be ignored either. In fact, when you ignore them, their voices get a little bit louder, don't they? Or, or you can start to lose some privileges or at least you should if you don't. We can talk about that later. That's exactly what's happening here. You've got the guy who's over the entire kingdom and they're saying, King, Daniel does not care what you said. And now he's trapped. Now he doesn't have a choice but to carry out what he said he was going to do. But here's the incredible thing. Daniel has discovered again and again and again in the first five chapters, and we're seeing it play out again right now, that living a life that is faithful to God does not guarantee that things will always go the way that you want. Remember, Daniel was in exile. Yes, Daniel's high up in this kingdom, but he's still not where he was born. He's still not with the people that he knows. He's a slave in another country, even though he's got a position of privilege. 
Just because you decide to live a life that is faithful to God, it doesn't mean that your life is always going to make sense or it's going to go exactly the way that you think that it should. It doesn't keep you from trials in your life. It doesn't keep you from troubles. Daniel's character, his reputation, his commitment and his faithfulness to God, it's what others actually used against him. But he stayed faithful. And you need to understand this. Quite often what we think is if we find ourselves in a situation like Daniel did, of course we would do the same thing. But here's what you need to know. It's not in those moments when you are faced with adversity or you're faced with trials or persecution that you become somebody who is faithful to God. It happens in all the choices leading up to that. One commentator wrote it this way. He wrote, Character is not forged in the moments of adversity. It is not in the hard moments where you become the person that honors God and does what is right. It is in these moments that true character is revealed. Your character your life that is above reproach, your reputation of integrity, all of that happens right now. Moment by moment, conversation by conversation, day by day in your pursuit of Christ. That kind of character or reputation like Daniel had, it was used against him. That kind of reputation is something that forms in the little choices you make to honor God every single day. And it comes through living faithfully day in and day out, even when that faithfulness to God will cost you. It may cost you relationships. It may cost you opportunity. It may cost you money. It could cost you your life. Daniel was committed to live in obedience even when that obedience meant punishment and persecution because he would not compromise. And you need to understand, if you sit here tonight and you say you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you know you have put your faith and trust in him. He has forgiven you of your sin and you are pursuing him with your life. If that is you, you are going to face times like that. You are going to face times when your faithfulness to God is going to cost you. Because scripture tells us that. It tells us that in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Quite, quite often when, when things start going wrong in our lives, we're like, why God? Why is this person coming after me? God, why are they attacking my reputation? Why are they saying these things about me? I don't understand. And he tells us right there, don't be surprised because it's going to happen. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may rejoice also and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. I'm saying if somebody's going to come after your reputation, don't let them have reason to do so. Don't give them opportunity. Don't give them things in your life that they can easily point out and see messed up right there. Big one. Make them work for it. Make them look at your life and wonder, how in the world am I going to go after this person? How am I going to take them down? Because their character, their reputation, it's one that honors God every chance they get. That's what that's talking about. 
When you're persecuted for being faithful to God, it says right there, rejoice, praise God, because when you're faithful, get this, it's an opportunity for people to see Jesus. Same book, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Your faithfulness to God, no matter the circumstances or the consequences, allows him to be glorified, not just by you, but by other people that see how you live your life. You have the opportunity to be faithful in your pursuit of the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ every single moment of every single day. And I'm willing to bet some of you in here, you struggled with it today. You found yourself in a situation, you found yourself in a conversation or whatever it may have been, an opportunity to take something that didn't belong to you, an opportunity to tell a little white lie and not get in trouble and you struggled with it. And yet what God calls us to is a life that is faithful to him, that makes the right choice no matter the consequence, no matter what the outcome may be because in the end, it's about honoring God and being faithful to him, not about what happens to us. So that's my question for you tonight. Are you living a life that is faithful to God at every moment of every day? No matter the situation, no matter the relationship, Will you live faithfully in pursuit of Jesus Christ? Only you can answer that question. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to be here, Lord, the opportunity to come together and to worship you and, and to spend time through song and through your word. And God, I just pray for every single person in this room. God, me too. Help us to be faithful. God, your word shows us that you do not change. God, we can count on your faithfulness to your people, to those who have put their faith and trust in you at every turn. God, help us to show that same kind of faithfulness to you, to show people who you are so that when people see our lives, God, they can see a relationship with Jesus Christ so that they see it and they want it. And God, I pray for open doors and opportunities for every person in this room that because they are living a life that's faithful to you, God, that people ask them, people talk to them, and they get the opportunity. We all get the opportunity to tell people about Jesus and why we follow you. And if you're here tonight and, and you know you've got a relationship with Jesus, but man, you, are, you found yourself recently, you're just struggling to live that out and to be faithful in that. If you want the other adults in this room to pray for you, to pray with you, I encourage you, write it down on that orange card and drop it in this basket in just a minute when we stand to sing. I send those out to our adult leaders every single week and they're praying for you to have the strength to live faithfully no matter what you face. And if you're here tonight and you struggle with living faithfully because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you want to know more about that 
you're ready to start that relationship right here, right now. The Bible tells us it's admitting you're a sinner, confessing that before God, believing that Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sins and that he rose from a tomb three days later. And he offers you forgiveness and he offers you life and he offers you God. And if that's you tonight, you can talk to God where you are right now and start that relationship and from this moment forward be surrounded by people that will help you try to walk faithfully every single day. If that's you tonight, talk to God. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word and we thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.